stand and sing, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me before the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, you and you alone are the great Savior, the only Savior, the only source of life by which we can call on the name of Jesus and have eternal life. Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Again, we say hallelujah. What a Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. If you would uh, grab one of these connection cards, we would love for you to fill that out. And uh, especially maybe if you're the first or second time guest, we would love to know who you are and be able to reach out to you and say thank you for being here today. For the rest of us, uh, there's opportunity to, for a comments or a prayer request on the back uh, and the, uh, 
The, the pastor and staff will be faithful to look through those and pray over those. Uh, matter of fact, we meet every Tuesday morning and we pray over every one of these. So, so please uh, be aware of that. And if you have a need, be sure and, and write it down there and we will certainly lift it up to the Lord. Um, another thing we want to remind you of is there's no service here tonight, but we invite you to... Uh, one banner over at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, our choir, and uh, about five or six other Springfield area choirs will combine together uh, and to to worship. And so uh, we invite this congregation to be at Ridgecrest tonight at six o'clock. Okay, so please uh, know that you can join us over there for a great time of of worship. As uh, is there another one, Andy, or no? What's next? A song? Okay, good. Let's sing then. <laughs> Pastor's going to move on. I, I, it's time to preach. <laughs> no other name but the name of Jesus. Let's sing it together. One name holds weight above them all. His fame. His fame outlasts the earth he forged. His praise resounds beyond the stars and echoes in our hearts. The greatest one as his love. He reigns. He reigns with healing in his wings. The King above all kings. The greatest one of all. Lift up our eyes, see the King has come. Okay. 
Stand with us and let's sing this. The earth will shake and tremble. The earth will shake and tremble before him. Chains will break. has been uh, preaching to us, talking with us about being the body of Christ. And this great Scott Wesley Brown song just came to mind this week, and I just wanted us to sing it together. talks about being united as one as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing it together.
seated just a moment. If we are the body of Christ, this next song tells us how to be that body. I will build my life upon your love. It is my firm foundation. And we're going to sing that uh, as a testimony, as a commitment here in a moment. Matter of fact, uh, uh, one of our wise older church members came up to me years ago after a, a, a worship service about a song we were singing, and it reminds me a lot of what we just sang. He said, Brother David... Isn't it dangerous to make a proclamation that I will do this unless I intend to do this? So what we sing matters. What we pray matters, right? Because we just sang, and to this, I give my life to see you, Lord, glorified. Either we mean that or we don't. Amen? So we got to really think through what we sing and, and prayerfully if it's scriptural, and I believe all these songs are, we need to mean we need to mean them. Let's sing this together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Jesus. 
right, here's those words of commitment. Let's stand before the Lord. Tell him this. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. And I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. Oh, I will. reminds us how we need not be shaken because he is our cornerstone he is our foundation let's read this together open to me the gates of righteousness that i may enter through them and give thanks to the lord this is the gate of the lord the righteous shall enter it i thank that you have answered me and have become my salvation the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone it is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Those last two verses, the stone the builders rejected, realize that is repeated five times in the New Testament. God must have been saying, I want you to know about this, that Jesus Christ is your foundation. Amen? And then he goes on to say, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Is it, is it marvelous in your eyes today? If it's not, ask God, Lord, make this precious, make this marvelous in my life that you are my cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built. Sing it again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. 
Well, let's begin by praying today and seeking our Father's face. Let's pray. Father, we are <clears throat> so blessed uh, to be called by your name, Lord, to be a part of the holy temple of the Lord. Lord, we, we give you praise and adoration. We exult in and exalt your precious name. Lord, help us uh, to think clearly Help us to engage the scripture today uh, to ask as a listener for comprehension, for 
attention uh, to the Holy Word of God as it is preached. And Lord, we pray for the messenger, Lord, that you would help me uh, have clarity of thought uh, to see the gospel run and see lives changed by the Word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Listen to the word of the Lord. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now note verse 22 for sure. In him you also are being built together. Note this, into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. The whole Bible is ultimately the story of God looking for a place to dwell. Let that sink into your heart and mind today as you listen to this sermon that you're going to hear. The whole Bible is ultimately the story of God looking for a place to dwell. And note verse 22. A dwelling place for God by His Spirit. Well, we have two portraits down, don't we? Citizens with the saints. And household members of God. Just think of the portraits that you've already heard about who we are in Christ and what we're supposed to be. And today we're going to talk about God's holy temple. You are part, if you're saved, of God's holy temple. Verse 22, there is a distinct kind of building that he's going to express. And at the end of 21 and 22, a holy temple in the Lord in in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place. So, this is the sermon today. We are part of God's holy temple. And as we make that distinction into that particular understanding of holy temple, like Paul does in 21 and 22, we want to remember that we are part, if you're saved today, if you are a citizen of the saints with God, if you are a household member of the family of God, then you are part of a holy temple unto the Lord. Let that sink in to you today. Let's talk about this in six ways. Some of you are fearful and scared. Don't be. Let's go quickly. This temple is built by God. Built by God. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation. Actually, the translation is having been built. And then down in verse 22, being built together. Who builds the church? A preacher? Who builds the church? Who builds this holy temple? God does. It is a compound word which Paul laces this particular text with several compound words. 
You're going to see one a little later that's almost like he makes it up on the fly in order to help us convey what we are as the people of God. So it's a compound word, and it actually means to be built in addition to. So God is building, and he's building on a foundation that's already been laid, and he's building in addition to. And it's also in the passive voice. Theologians will call it the divine passive. In other words, the verb is receiving the action. The building is taking place by an agent, and the agent is God. God is building the church. So the church is the work of God in Christ. It is God in Christ who builds his church. God is at work and God is building his church. Matthew 16. Most of you know this by heart, don't you? Jesus was asking his disciples, who do you say that I, the Lord, am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, small stone, and on this rock, big stone, I will build my church. Y'all hear it? Who builds the church? Cry, I will build my church. And hell itself and Satan will not stop me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I will build my church. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says continually, And the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. This is not hard. God in Christ is the one who builds the church. Now think about this individually. When you came to Christ, you became part of a construction project. You did. You were placed into a superstructure that has a foundation. And what you became part of is much larger than yourself. And I know in our world, here's what we often think. We have a faulty ecclesiology. And we thought that when we came to Christ, it's all about us. It's all about you. It's Jesus and me and no one else. Well, I've got news for you folks. That's not what the Bible teaches The Bible actually teaches that there's three persons in one God, right? So you are involved with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but one, right? And you are part of everyone else that's ever been saved that's part of the family of God. It's not uh, me for more and no more. You understand that, don't you? This is what... It's being taught in this text. You became a stone in a superstructure. You are built into this structure by God. Number two, you ready? The temple is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This building, built by God, is built upon a a foundation. Paul says the foundation rests on, stands on, is built upon a foundation, a holy temple. It comes first before the actual building is built. Now, we got builders all in this church. And you guys are not going to go out and throw concrete down in a random place without having some boundaries, without having a form. You know full well how important a foundation is to a construction. You can't build a superstructure on top of something if it doesn't have a foundation. Now, I said this last week. When you walked into this building, you didn't say, wow, what a foundation. That's not something we think about. It's not something we necessarily care about. But as a church, you better care about our foundation. 
right? It is critically important. So a foundation stands in many ways for stability. It stands for strength. Listen to Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Now that certainly speaks of stabilizing strength. And those are factors in God's throne. And it's magnificent. Look with me in Luke chapter 6. This is another uh, teaching of Christ that I'm sure you're very much aware of. Luke chapter 6. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you to do? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what it is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not, could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. His very words. Remember, Jesus is saying, you hear what I have to say. It's my very words, right? That's what's taught here. It's the very words that are giving out. That, are, that is the foundation of our lives And you build upon that foundation of what I teach. And one man dug and built on that rock, the other didn't. And the contrast has to do with stability and strength. Hear this, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, his temple, is built upon a firm, stable, secure foundation. And it will not be moved. It's built on this foundation. Now, again, note this, it's not laid It is not the foundation that is laid by the apostles and the prophets. Because we learn in 1 Corinthians 3.11 that the foundation has been laid and no other foundation can be laid and the foundation is Jesus Christ. You want to see it? Because some of you look a little dumbfounded. And you know, I don't want to take it for granted. Uh, My role as a preacher is to show you what the Word of God says. Chapter 3, verse 11, make sure you see this clearly. Chapter 311, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the very foundation. But this text says that it, it, is, it is, okay, think about it this way. It's laid and it consists of other building materials. And the other building materials happens to be the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So immediately we began to think about it's consisting of The foundation is consisting of certain construction processes. And one is the apostles and the prophets. And this is very important. Was Paul an apostle? This means yes. This means no. Help me preach this. Wake up. All right? Yes, he was. It was the the 12 plus Paul. And we know uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He was one born out of due time. So... We have apostles, and and how do you define what an apostle is? First, they had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. You know that Jesus had already ascended into heaven before Paul saw him, but did did Paul see him face to face? Absolutely. Acts chapter 9. So, not only the eyewitness of Christ to be an apostle, but given direct 
revelation and the commissioning assignment by Jesus himself. Are y'all listening? That's what an apostle is. And then the Bible tells us of the prophets. But let me whet your appetite for this. And you can go back and study it on your own. But here's what I want you to understand about an apostle. Chapter 1 of the book of Galatians. So turn left. Turn your pages left. Just one book. Galatians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't this awesome? Man, that's awesome. Listen. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and destroyed it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he talks about uh, verse 17, who were apostles before me. So he's speaking of this, this privilege, but also this position that Paul actually had. He was made an apostle by Jesus Christ. And then one other, if you can't get there fast enough, Listen to 1 Corinthians and how Paul speaks of his position as an apostle. I'm in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Verse 37. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual. Now Paul's an apostle, right? He says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So whose word came first? Folks, don't you see Paul is pulling rank. He's saying, if you're truly an apostle and you don't hear me and I'm giving you the word of God, then you're a fake. Y'all see how strong this is. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. In other words, if you don't recognize I'm an apostle and what I'm giving you is the word of God, then you're not recognized as a prophet. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. I say all that to help you understand that the position of an apostle was a foundational principle. What do we know about a foundation? There's only one. It's not repeated. So there are no modern-day apostles today, no matter what people call their churches. This is unrepeatable. This is what God began to use, and there's a purpose for it. The apostles were given this so they could reveal to us the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they did what they did. And so then, then we have prophets. What is a prophet? One endowed by the Holy Spirit with the gift of prophecy for the purpose of edification Comfort and encouragement. And if you go back to Ephesians, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 14, 3 and verse 31. I'm not going to read those. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 and verse 31. But it tells you what a prophet does. He hears from the Lord. 
He encourages, he equips, he gives it to the church regarding the person and work of Christ. So, this is direct divine revelation that was vitally important for the foundation of the church. Now, we're in Ephesians. Let me show you a couple of verses. Chapter 3, verse 5. Some of you who can't do a Bible drill, surely you started in chapter 3, chapter 2 of Ephesians, right? Hello. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 5. Listen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his who? Holy prophets and holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now verse 11 of chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. That is a combination of one term with two words. Pastor, teacher, to do what? Are y'all looking at the text? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So here he brings together apostles and prophets. Their message was always consistent with the message of the apostles. It was important for equipping and teaching the early church. Listen, until the scriptures were complete. Right? There was a reason that you had apostles and prophets. The church is built upon the New Testament revelation, which was originally given to the apostles and prophets, and it ends up being canonized for us in the Bible. So there are no modern-day apostles nor prophets today. Why? Because you have the revealed Word of God in your hand. Right? Once this was canonized, and, and God's word, oral tradition, and every part of what the apostles and prophets taught in the New Testament was pinned, then those two offices ceased. So in reality, when you read apostles and prophets, we, we know full well. Why? Because the word of God has already been given to us in the New Testament. Now, what did the apostles and prophets do? They were teachers. Now, this may surprise you folks, but here's the deal. A church will stand or fall based upon its faithfulness to the Word of God. Thus, the call of your pastor is not to play tiddlywinks. The goal of your pastor is to preach the Word. Why? Because a church will stand or fall based upon the Word of God. That's, that's why we're built upon it. Luke makes it clear that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Chapter 2, verse 42. They both had a unique redemptive history of apostles and prophets, but it is now complete. The foundation is laid once and forever. Does that make sense? The foundation is the apostles and the prophets, i.e., the Word of God. And once it was completed and given to us and revealed to us all that there was to know concerning Jesus Christ and the way of salvation, then it's completed. Okay? Now, what does this do for the Catholic Church belief that Peter is the first Pope? And upon that foundation, the Church of Jesus Christ is built. Well, this text says that the apostles is plural. Did y'all read the same text I read? It doesn't say Peter and the apostles. It says apostles and prophets is what this says. So it's, 
It is the revelation that comes through Peter as a representative apostle. And that message that comes through Peter is that there is no other foundation in the church other than Jesus Christ. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It also cuts across the grain of what's called apostolic succession. You know what that means? Well, what they would argue was that years and years and years ago, uh, an, uh, an apostle had ordained this particular bishop. And then through history, the next bishop ordained the next bishop, ordained the next bishop, ordained the next bishop, ordained... Y'all getting this? And there's this succession, and if you can't follow that succession all the way back to one of the apostles, then you're messed up. This is what the Roman Catholic Church believes to this day. This is also what is believed in the Episcopal Church. But folks, that's not what the Bible teaches. I do believe in a form of apostolic succession. But the succession that I believe in is the apostolic teaching found in the New Testament. Right? That's what's in succession is what's found in this book. So our authority in the church is nothing more and nothing less than thus saith the Lord. It is God's word alone. Number three, y'all are doing so good. This temple is built with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. It's emphatic. It's, he, he is in the emphatic position. In other words, it's built on Christ and no one else. That's who the church is built upon. Yet, here's the reality. There is a chief cornerstone in this foundation. Did you see it in the text? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And Paul is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Some have argued that this cornerstone actually might be called the capstone, which is put on when it's completed. Well, I don't agree with that. I think he is the chief cornerstone. That's the meaning. Why? Because this building is not completed yet. Right? It's not completed yet, so it's not a capstone. Furthermore, when you read Isaiah 28, 16, it says that I am laying a costly cornerstone. And most scholars believe that's exactly where Paul is getting what he's teaching. So it also fits with Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, which says... No other foundation can be laid, which has already been laid. Who is? Jesus Christ. So, the Bible teaches there will be two types of relationships to this cornerstone. The Bible tells us in Psalm 118 that Brother David put up for you, and it's learned in Isaiah 8, that there are two relationships to this cornerstone. Those who believe in Christ and are not dismayed, and those who reject Christ and are mowed over by this cornerstone. Wow. That's what the Bible says. So it is laid first. It is also used to determine the lie and the line of the rest of the foundation of the rest of the building. The rest of the superstructure is positioned by its relationship to the cornerstone. In other words, folks, if you're not in Christ, you're not part of the church. If you're not in Christ, you're not part. If you don't have him as your cornerstone. So this holy temple in verse 21 is built out and from the revelation given to us regarding Christ. That the apostles and the prophets elaborated on and explained. And then we have it all given to us in the word of God. So. The mystery which was made known to them by the Holy Spirit of God. Paul is going to pick up in chapter 3 verse 1. 
But here is the chief cornerstone of our church and our very lives. What did Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know this in your own life? There is only one cornerstone. There is only one foundation. There is only one Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. You all realize there's no building without him. Amen? The entire saved community is built on him. Without Jesus Christ, the church does not exist. In Christ, you have a firm, immovable foundation of the scriptures built on the apostles and the prophets. And then you have the massive, stable, secure, immutable cornerstone of Christ Jesus. If you believe the gospel, that's what you have. And you will not be dismayed and you will not be shaken. Something just popped in my mind. I've got to show you. Y'all ready? And you need to see it. It's worth the price of admission for you to come into this church today, right? Chapter 2, verse 14 of Hebrews. Just listen. Don't move. Just listen. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Christ, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Listen to this. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Y'all hear what that means? If your life is built on Jesus, you don't fear death. You don't fear death. If there's one thing, I, I, I agree with Justin Peters. I agree with him wholeheartedly. If, if one thing, the COVID coronavirus thing has taught the people of God is that I think we might fear death too much wake up if you're in Christ Jesus you have a foundation and God Almighty came down from heaven in order to deliver you from the power of death that has gripped your heart for your whole life why because you belong to Jesus and Paul would say for me to live as Christ and to die as gain Hallelujah. And then check this out. Chapter 12. Maybe I should have preached Hebrews this morning because I got some amens. Look. Listen to this. Verse 12. Listen to this. Verse 26. At that time his voice shook the earth. What are we talking about? Mount Sinai. But now he has promised yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. Most people believe that is end time events. I disagree. I think Listen, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. I think that's the old covenant. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Listen to this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Think about this. doesn't matter what Joe Biden does. It doesn't matter what happens in America, in the United States of America. Our kingdom cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. Think about this. And all of this is due to the foundation you have in Christ. It changes your perspective in this world. Changes how you view things. All right, number four. This temple is joined by union with Christ. Don't miss this. Notice how it says it in verse 21. In whom? Who's the whom? Christ. All right, notice at the end of verse 21. In whom? The Lord. Notice verse 22. In him. They're bookends to tell us that the temple is joined by your union with Christ. In other words, you're not part of this temple unless you are in right relationship with Christ. 
Now, listen to this. The whole structure being joined together. Now Paul is stepping back, and he's not just looking at the foundation. He's looking at the whole superstructure building. Can you all see this? He's, he's now stepping back and saying, okay, let's look at the whole structure of the building. And verse 21 and 22 virtually say the same thing. They're parallel with different words. He wants you to get the picture of the entire construction process. So, each piece of the superstructure becomes connected with the whole so that the building, listen, is a total unity. Is this not fascinating? So, Paul, I told you about a word he was going to bring together. He brings two words together to convey this massive principle. Okay? I looked at the NLT just before walking in here and said, Let, let's see how they translate it. Here's what it says. Carefully joined together. If you look at an older translation, it may say fitted, F-I-T-T-E-D, and jointed together. So, this superstructure is being built upon, and yet it is you, right, who are saved, are fitted and joined together. Now, it's not talking about gluing them together. You know, there are various things we could talk about with the construction process. How do you get the stones together in a building? Well, we could glue them together. It's not welding them together. It's not even nailing them together. The picture demands a twofold aspect of, of true craftsmanship. Now, are y'all listening? Y'all need to hear this. Each piece of the entire building has been specially sized, fitted, and then carved so that it can be jointed together with the rest of the superstructure. What a glorious picture. The stone has been brought from the quarry. I grew up in Elberton, Georgia, which is the granite capital of the world. I can't tell you all the stories because you kids might try to do what I've done when it comes to water at the bottom of a quarry, if you know what I mean, and real high banks. But here's the deal. For years and years, our whole life, right, Betty Sue, people quarry those rocks up out of there, true craftsmanship, and then they take them as a master craftsman does, and he fits it by carving it, by chiseling it, so that he can turn right around and joint it into the master building. When you became a Christian, God fitted you and jointed you together with the building. We are fitted and joined together with a foundation. What does this mean? If you're saved, then you are locked on to the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Hear me, young people. If you're truly saved, you are fitted with the Word of God. And we got young people that leave the church, and it's going to happen here. Statistically, it's going to happen here. As soon as you go off to Babylon University, it's going to be clear that you were never jointed to the Word of God. Because if you are, you will not bail ship. You cannot remove this foundation. And you are jointed to the truth or you're not. Y'all look dumbfounded. Do y'all realize what's in the word of God if we study it? If we study what's in the word of God, it will help our stinking thinking. It will get us in line with the word of God. So, the church is built upon the truth. And when it's built upon the truth, it's going to be in your life. Let me show you a verse. Y'all having fun? Amen. All right. Good deal. Romans 6, 17. Last time I checked, the Chiefs play at 2.30, right? We're good. Look. 
6.17. Listen. This, you need to put your eyes on this. Look. 6.17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you become a slave to righteousness. In Paul's understanding of conversion, here's what happens. You're taken from a slave of sin to a slave of righteousness. And when you are, you are moved over to a standard of teaching. You're moved over to a standard of truth. It becomes the pattern of your life. We hear people say all the time, well, they left the church because we failed in discipleship. Baloney. That's a good Hebrew word for that. Baloney. Do we have a responsibility to disciple? Amen, we do. But the greatest teacher that ever lived is called the Holy Spirit. And when you get saved, you are given a pattern of truth in your life, and you can't get away from it. You can't, folks. It's who you are. God gives it to you. So when you became a Christian, you did not become a Christian in a truthless context. The very idea of becoming a Christian is that you are fitted and jointed together with the truth. Hey, if you pour a concrete slab, do you set boundaries? Does it have a form that it goes into? Absolutely. And when you got saved, ladies and gentlemen, God poured your heart into a form of teaching that you are now committed to as a believer. So, does someone see the application here? Where there is no truth, there's no Christians. Where there is no truth, there is no church. The truth of God's word is absolutely vital, vital, indispensable for what it is to be a part of this building. And I know I'm preaching a soapbox this morning, but there is no room for this nebulous, ambiguous, undefined, sentimental type Christianity that believes everything and doesn't reject anything. That does not exist. Why? Because salvation is not your personal own experience and no one else's. Don't you understand that salvation and the gospel has a form of truth that cannot be changed? And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man will ever come to the Father except through me. So to be a Christian means that you are rightly fitted and joined to God's Word. Pump the brakes. You're not saved as indispensable as the truth is. You're not saved by the propositional truth that Jesus saves. You're saved by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Thus, if you're in this temple today, not only is your life built on the word of God, but your life has to be built on the cornerstone. Does this make sense? Are y'all having as much fun as I am? All right, listen. It's not enough to be fitted to truth propositionally. The entire essence of being a Christian is that you have to be rightly united with the cornerstone who is Christ Jesus. So hear this. He's the vine and we are the branches. Unless there's a vital connection to the vine, you're not a real branch and you don't bear fruit. Folks, listen to me. You may be trying your best to serve God in this church, but there's no fruit. You need, to, you need to pump the brakes and ask, am I rightly united to Christ Jesus the Lord? Am I united to the vine? So, are you rightly connected to the cornerstone? Okay, real fast, ready? This temple is growing. Verse 21. In whom the whole structure being joined together, say it, grows. Now, should we be concerned about numbers? I'm, I'm going to land the plane soon. Look at me. Should we be concerned about numbers here? 
Should we try to evangelize, persuade men, tell them the gospel, be evangelists? Look, folks, no questions about that. We should be concerned about numbers because they represent a soul. However, we're not concerned with dog and pony shows to draw people. Because Jesus saves, not programs, right? So, but here's the other side of that. In this text, it seems that the quality of the temple is what God is most concerned with. Do you see the word? What's it called? Holy. Uh-oh. How are you doing with this holiness thing? When's the last time you saw a marquee out in front of a church said, Hey, new church growth tactics brought to our church. Holiness. How many people is going to show up for that one? Holiness. You do know that Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says that without holiness you will not see God. Let that sink in. Without holiness you will not see God. God is concerned with quality. You know church history is really important. Do y'all realize this morning that you stand upon the shoulders of those who went before you? Do y'all understand this morning that when we, it's so silly how we talk sometimes. Well, in the church, we need contemporary music. We need contemporary worship. We need contemporary preaching, which contemporary preaching is getting up there and saying a lot of things that actually say nothing. And then churches. We need contemporary churches. We need contemporary theology. Folks, do you realize that we stand on the shoulders of men and women that came before us, and the only thing that's really contemporary today is you? Everything else before us. Think about this. There's nothing contemporary about truth and nothing contemporary about worship. We are the only contemporary commodities in the church. And one day you're going to be gone. Are y'all listening? We will then be part of a historical heritage. And you are part of a building that is very, very, very old. And I hate to be this way, but I don't have a, a, a lot of modern day heroes. Because they haven't finished yet. And when you put your stake in a modern-day hero, you better watch out. I put more stake in those who are dead and gone. Listen, I like dead people. I like the old people. Why? Because they ran their course and they finished, and they finished well. But the verdict's still out on you and me. You only have to look around a minute to figure this out in life. You put all your stock in this hero of the faith, and all of a sudden you're disappointed. You need to do a better job. Think about this. You are fitted with stones from of old. Of all the quarries of all the world. Praise God that he saw fit to put me and you in it. Amen. That's how we've been fitted. Okay. Peter says you are living stones. Now incidentally, if we were all glued together, then we might. If you were just glued together when it gets hot, you might come unglued. And boy, does that ever happen in Baptist life. Sad reality. If we duct tape one another, another together, we could just peel off the tape. But folks, I want to tell you something. You are fitted together. Just look around in this church. And you say, well, I'm a part of the invisible body of Christ. No such thing. All people who are saved are visible. You're not sitting beside someone invisible in this church. Now, we can use terminology like universal but always remember that universal church is a microcosm, but the local church is the microcosm. Right? So, think about this. The universal church doesn't exist apart from the local church. It just doesn't. You're not fitted together with invisible saints, but visible saints. Your growth 
depends on your cooperation with the body of Christ. And I know you hear my ecclesiology, but there's no such thing as belonging to Jesus and not belonging to a local church. There is no such thing of that. Why? Because you've been connected. You've been jointed to this body of truth. Your life is built on Christ. And you can't stand being apart from the people of God. All right, quickly. The temple is a dwelling place of God by His Spirit. Let's skip down and think about this. What did you find in the Garden of Eden from the beginning? Perfect harmony with Adam and Eve communing with God. And then what happens? Sin entered the world, and the Bible says death by sin. Remember that statement, God was looking for a place to dwell? Y'all remember what happened? You remember what happened early on? God chooses Abraham, we know that. Why did God choose Abraham? I have no idea. He was a sun, moon worshiper. And God snatched him out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said, I'm going to build a people for myself. Right? You remember that? And then you have the people being in Egypt for how many years? 430. And then God comes to the people. God initiates this and says, you know what? I'm going to deliver you and you shall be my people. Right? And the people says, oh Lord, we will be people of great faith. Is that what they said? No, the Lord should have thought that one over better, right? This is going to be a holy nation. Doesn't take long to figure it out. That's not the case whatsoever. But back to the dwelling place. What does God do? After Moses takes the people out of Egypt, God decides he's going to come for a meeting. Y'all remember this? And it's not inside the camp. It's a, it's a, it's a meeting, but it's outside on Mount Sinai. And God Almighty comes with thunder and lightning. And the Israelites say, hey, let's go do a selfie. Let's grab our Polaroid and get a snapshot of this. No, folks, they're awestruck. They're terror-struck at this God who comes down on that mountain. They say, no, Moses, we don't want to have anything to do with him. You go out there and meet him outside the camp. Y'all read your Bibles? And then what happens? God's not satisfied. So he says to Moses, I want to dwell with my people, so build me a tabernacle. Y'all listening? But you better build it exactly the way I say build it or you're going to die. So they build that tabernacle. And it's pretty sweet. It's mobile. And God is with the people all the time. But down the line, God's choicest servant, David, says, Lord, I know you're not satisfied in being living in something made out of sea cow hides. So I want to build a temple for you that you might dwell. What does God say to David? You're a man after my own heart, but you're a man of war and you're not going to build it. But your son will. And even after Solomon finishes this incredible temple, in 1 Kings 8, he says, Lord God, this is not big enough for you. The heavens cannot contain you. Solomon knew it. And then history rocks on. It's destroyed by the Babylonians. And then you have the second edifice temple built, better known in Jesus' day as Herod's temple. Have you ever read the book of Ezra? There were two responses for, for finishing this temple. Some people weeped. You know why? Because it had lost its luster. It wasn't like the first one with all its glory. And then some people were joyful. Why? Because it's the only temple they had ever known. Right? We know the story and end of that temple. But all right, focus your mind on this. John chapter 1 verse 14. Are you all listening? 
And the word was made flesh. Here's the Greek word. Tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. The only glory of the begotten son of God. Full of grace and truth. And here's what we know about Shekinah glory filling the temple. It was God's kindness and his truth and his peace. So here's what I want you to know. The true temple is Jesus Christ. And he doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. He dwells in the human life. So do you know him today? Are you saved? Is he your cornerstone? Are you, do you have this pattern of truth in your life that you can't get away from? Because I'm telling you folks, if you're saved, you will be committed to that pattern. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you for the word. Thank you that you made your dwelling place with man. And Lord, that could not happen apart from Jesus Christ redeeming us. There was no way a holy God could live in people like us without Jesus. We praise you for your righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Father, if there's someone under the sound of my voice that's lost today, God help them. God help them. Would you save their soul? Help them see that you are the cornerstone. Lord, for Christians, God refocus us. Reintroduce us. Reorient us to what it means to be the people of God. His holy temple. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing to the Lord. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice. You became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life. I'm in that place once again. Oh, I'm in that place once again. And once again I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you Once again I pour out my life Say thank you Thank you for the cross Thank you for the cross Thank you for the cross my friend Thank you for the cross Thank you for the cross Thank you for the cross, my friend. Nolan, I know your dad's not doing well. He has COVID. He lives in North Alabama. Uh, Nolan, would you come down here and let's have some people get around him. As David sings another verse, uh, let's, I think his dad's stable, uh, but he's got a long way to go. And let's, let's pray for Nolan. Any others in our church family with people you know of that are struggling with COVID and hurting, just come down here and let's, let's continue to sing. Y'all pray for him right now, all right? Let's... Now you are exalted to the highest place, King of all heaven, where one day we'll bow. But for now, I marvel at your saving grace. I'm full of praise once again. Oh, I'm full of praise once again. And once again, humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside.
time of worship to you Lord corporately as a body and we do lift up Nolan's dad and just pray for Nolan and Megan and the family Lord and uh, Father we just pray for a complete recovery I know things are uh, stable but Father we know how these things work and Father we know you work uh, above all things and control life and death and we ask Lord God that you would heal him and make him well in Jesus name we pray amen God be the glory a uh, couple things real fast, and you can go home. Don't forget one banner tonight. If you've not been able to go, that will be at 6 tonight. Uh, they've asked me to do a four-minute devotional. <laughs> no, now, you pray for me that I'll say exactly what I need to say in four minutes. I usually do pretty good when I'm restricted by time, right? All right. It's really 6, but Y'all I told to you join? four. <laughs> right. No, no. <laughs> This is Brad and Megan Gaddy, and I've had a lot of people say, when are the Gaddys going to join our church, right? They've been coming for quite some time. Uh, they had one membership class left, and they thought they couldn't join. I said, no, you can join right now. They both know Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, they'll be coming to us by statement of faith. They have followed in believer's baptism. And so we received the Gaddys into our church family. Amen? Amen. God be the glory. Let me go back there with Chris, and he'll line you up for people to greet you. So, you'll get a letter this week reminding you of next Sunday morning. We're going to have a one-time special offering. It's not your tithes, it's not your tithes right? It's a, it's a gift to the building, to the renovation uh, fund, okay? Uh, our staff, just seven of us, have committed 6000 already, okay? So, we're just asking you to follow suit and obey the Lord. Many of you said, let's don't borrow money. So, here we are. Let's, let's do the best we possibly can. And then after that offering is over, here's what I'm asking you to commit to. Many of you already give faithfully to the building fund. And we're either going to owe about 1.3 or we might owe 1.5 if we can't get everything done and you don't give enough. All right? If that's the case, we've got to keep knocking that down. And you're so faithful to give somewhere around $28,000 a month our church gives. Don't stop doing that. 
until we pay it off. Okay? And if you're a new member and you've never committed to the building fund, we need you. Let's knock this debt off. And then let's make a decision that we're not going to do anything else in the future unless we have the money on hand. Amen? And we're going to give more to missions and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Okay? That's the goal. Have I missed anything, David? Well, i got one more announcement, and I just need, I, I promise I'm going to take 90 more seconds. Go ahead and be seated. Wait a minute. you got envelopes coming. You'll have envelopes in the pew, so do that next Sunday morning. God bless you. I know what this is about. Back to Bethlehem. Here we you go. ready? <laughs> All right. I know you're ready to go home. So that was just a real quick flyby of what Back to Bethlehem looks like in case you've never been a part of it. It's interesting that the pastor was talking about being the body of Christ. There's a lot of things we can do as the body of Christ. If just 5% will volunteer and do this, we can pull it off. If just 15% would volunteer to do this, we can pull it off. Back to Bethlehem is we need 80-plus percent of you to say, yes, I'm in. Uh, it takes the whole church to do it, children, uh, students, and, and adults. And so we're going to have an informational meeting after Lord's Supper next Sunday night, okay? And so please uh, come to that. Also, if you want to uh, be a part of a speaking part, just go to our website, click Back to Bethlehem, and it'll take you through. I'm interested in being an actor, and we need to recruit those people really quick in the next couple of weeks. So if you're interested at all, go there and click, and we will get in, in touch with you. Anything else, Pastor? Okay, four minutes. Four minutes only. Okay, hey, let's uh, sting this as we go. I will build my life. I will build.